Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is from the Sword of the Spirit Bible Conference. This is the evening service of Sunday the 23rd of February 2014, entitled The Servant God Uses, and the Bible reading is taken from 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 19 to 21. Here's Pastor Brian Beaver. Well, amen. Thank you, young people. That was awesome. Unbelievable. What a blessing. And uh, thank you, preacher, for being here. Very humbled that uh, you would bring your young people and sing. That's awesome. And I, I thank God for uh, what God has done this week. And uh, I know we're fairly empty compared to what it was uh, just two nights ago. This place was literally packed out. And uh, we, uh, we saw, I guess, if I'm not mistaken, uh, there were four that I talked to, and I believe five that raised their hand. I know I talked to four specifically and prayed, and they uh, got the thing settled that they're saved by the grace of God. So actually five, Steve, this weekend trusted Christ, and the altars were full Friday night and last night and this morning, and just thank God for it. And I'm very humbled uh, at the privilege of being able to be here, and uh, I thank God I hate saying goodbye. I'm not going to do it. I just think I'm not going to say goodbye. I'm not going to do it. If I see, I'll just say, we'll talk later. All right. I'm not going to say goodbye. So, um, but I I am privileged and I'm glad that you're here tonight. Uh, Sometimes it's lackluster on Sunday night of the conference because it's been such a crescendo and then it's almost like a letdown. But you know what? We're here for a appointed time and a specific task at hand and that is to look at God's word and be strengthened from it and hope you can leave here better than when you came in. Amen? And so I want you to look at 1 Kings chapter number 19. 1 Kings chapter number 19. We'll start at verse number 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. We'll start at verse number 19. Of course, uh, you that are visiting, uh, you obviously see that our theme for the week has been, uh, are you a team player? And uh, I made reference to the fact that we... uh, we're either one of three. We're either one of three positions on a team. You're either an active participant who has used every bit of your potential. You've trained properly, and you're in the game. That's one of the one of the facets of a team member. The other facet is you can be on the bench because of either not training properly, disobedient to the coach, you're just an open rebellion, and you've been sidelined, obviously. Or you could be part of the injured reserves. You've been hurt for some reason. I don't know what it might be in your life, but you know it can be bitterness, it can be anger, it can be envy, lust, uh, any one of those things. And we talked about the giants that we face and everything, but tonight I want to end on a note. Thinking about being a team player, I want you to think about this with me. Are you a man or a woman that God can use? Now, you know it's an amazing thing to me that the God that took nothing and made everything the God that made every star we see, the God that uh, literally hung every planet into place, The, the, the God that took nothing and made everything out of it, who needs nobody to counsel Him, who needs nobody's help. By the way, I don't know if you realize that or not, but God really don't need us. Thank God He included us, but He don't need us. But you know what? The God that don't need anybody is looking to you somebody that will be willing to be used. And I want you to look at a servant tonight by the name of Elisha. I want you to look at what happened in 1 Kings chapter 19. We'll start our reading in verse number 19. 
Let me build up to this. And of course, we've already gone through uh, 1 Kings 19. We went through a couple, uh, a couple of the verses in the first part of this chapter and talked about what the, what the context was. The context is here Elijah has wrought a great victory on Mount Carmel. And by the way, just as a side note, Brother Downey, uh, you know, before God could use Elijah, not Elisha, but Elijah, the way he did at Mount Carmel, he first had to take him to a few places. The first one was a place called Kareth. He took him to a brook called Kareth. And do you understand that, that brook, the word Kareth literally in the Hebrew language means a cutting. Do you understand that before God can use you like, like he did Elijah on Mount Carmel, you first have to go to Kareth where he has to whittle away everything that don't look like his son. And then he'll take you to a place called Zarephath. Now that's a strange word. The word Zarephath means a refining. God has to cut away and whittle away everything that don't look like him and then put you in the fire to refine you. He knoweth the way that I take. And when he hath tried me, Job said, I shall come forth as gold. Young people, God's not done with you. If you want to be a, a servant that God uses, we talked about the spirit of a servant this morning, but now we're going to talk about the servant that has that attitude and can be used by God in full potential, not on the bench watching the game, but in the game as a participant. Amen. I'm tired of people being sidelined. Hey, get in the game and do something for Christ. So here's the thing. Elijah... And he was taken from Kareth to Zarephath. Now he's at Mount Carmel. He's wrote a great victory. 850 prophets of the grove and prophets of Baal have fallen. The people are saying, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Then you come to chapter 19. 24 hours later, after a great victory, and the prophet Elijah is running from one woman. <laughs> one woman, Jezebel. And do you know what? God had to speak to his prophet and say, you know what? There are 7,000, by the way, don't you get the Elijah syndrome? Don't you think you're the only one that's serving God? You, listen, you've got people in this church that love you. You've got people at your church that love you, and there's still a remnant left, and you've got to serve Jesus Christ. You know what? Here's the problem. A lot of us get the Elijah syndrome and think we're the only one left. Woe is me. God reminded Elijah there's 7,000 that hadn't bowed their knee to Baal. And you know what? Then God says, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to look for you a successor, Elijah. We need somebody to take your mantle because you know what? I'm getting ready to bring you on to the house. You're coming home. And do you know what? God brought him to a place called Abel Mahola. Abel Mahola. That's a whole lot harder than saying Birmingham, isn't it? Amen. Brought him to a city called Abel Mahola, which by the way means the meadow of dancing. This obviously was a really nice place, lush pasture land, beautiful side, listen, beautiful uh, little pastures and beautiful little hilltops, wonderful place. And you know what? God brought Elijah to a place to where he would show him who his successor would be. You know what I hope and pray that somebody in this room takes pastor's place. I hope it, listen, I hope somebody from this church will, listen, take the reign of leadership whenever pastor can't do what he's doing. I've been praying that God, Panos, would bring somebody into my church that I could leave it into the hands of and maybe go off and do something else or start another church or go back on the road. I, listen, God didn't call me to stay. God called me to go. I can't sit, sit still. I got to go. 
And you know what? If you're a church planner or any type of uh, got, uh, got some kind of grit in your crawl, you know what? You'll be a person that says, you know what? By the grace of God, I'm going to be that successor. I'm going to be the one that will take the mantle. I'm going to be the one that will take the torch and the baton and run on for Jesus Christ. But young people, it's going to have to take somebody who's a servant. I want you to look at what happens in verse number 19. Verse number 19, it says, So he departed thence and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat. By the way, Shaphat means judge. Here's a man. I want you to listen to me now. Here's a man by the name of Elisha. And Elijah has come to him and he said, You know what? God said, Elijah, that's going to be your successor. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. If you were looking with human eyes, Elijah would have been a man that would have stood head and shoulders above everybody else in the crowd. He would have stood out. He had a, a, a physique about him. He had a demeanor about him that he would stand out in a crowd. But you know what? Elisha is absolutely contrary to who Elijah was. Elisha was partially bald. And don't none of y'all say nothing. Okay, he was partially bald, he was kind of an introvert, Tyler, and he was a mama's boy. He didn't leave home, he stayed at the house. And do you know what? You couldn't get any different a person to choose from Elijah than an Elisha. You know what it shows me, Brother Downey? That God's willing to use anybody that's willing to be used. Only God has a sense of humor enough to replace an Elijah with an Elisha. You know what it shows me? It ain't how good you are. It ain't how noble you are or mighty or, or strong. But God chose the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. He chose the weak things of this world to confound the mighty. Why? So that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. God put his treasure in clay pots. Us. And you know what? Elisha was a man who was totally, totally different, Malcolm, than Elijah was. Okay, I want you to look at verse number 20. Verse number 20, after he had gone, and, and excuse me, let's go back to verse number 19. So he departed thence and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who means judge. Obviously, he had some notoriety in his town of Abel Mahola because his daddy was a judge. Amen? Had some money. Okay? You say, how did you know he had money? Well, I'm going to read something to you. You'll find out. And he was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him. Now, I want you to look up at me. The reason I know that this man was probably wealthy is because, you know what? It was a rare, rare thing for even fa a family to have one yoke of oxen, let alone 12. He had 24 oxen. This was a man who was very wealthy. It'd be like, it'd be like you having 15 Maseratis in your garage. That's basically what it's saying. This is a wealthy man. You say, what's your point? Well, I've got a point and I'm going to get there. Just give me a minute, all right? Look at verse number 19. And he with the twelve, and Elijah passed by and cast his mantle upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow thee. And Elijah said unto him, Go back again, for what have I now done to thee? And, and he returned back from him and, the tw and took a yoke of oxen and slew them and boiled their flesh and the instruments of the oxen and, uh, and gave unto the people and they did eat. Then he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. 
The servant that God uses, what is it? What's the attributes that God uses about a servant that will be, that will be a vessel of honor that he can pour himself into, or ultimately to pour himself out on others? What are the characteristics? Well, number one, if you're going to be a servant that God uses, number one, you've got to be a man or a woman of allegiance. You've got to be a man or a woman of allegiance. You say, preacher, what do you mean? It is time for God's people to stop if I can say this, halting between two opinions. If God be God, serve him. But if Baal be God, serve him. Joshua said it, I'll say it again. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Whether it be the gods of your fathers which were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. And Joshua said, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, you've got to be a man or woman of allegiance. You know what it's time for us to do? It's time for us to have some allegiance to Jesus Christ. We got too many people that are in churches today that are trying to be politically correct, trying to be uh, persuasive, trying to have their debates won because of their philosophical views and their intellectualism. I'm here to tell you that Paul said, I determined to know nothing among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I promise you right now, that's all I need to know. That Jesus Christ died and was buried and on the third day rose again according to the scriptures. And the gospel in and of itself, Steve, is nothing other than that. And you know what? We got a lot of stuff going on. You know what? And what it does is it detracts, Jensen, our allegiance to Jesus Christ. We ought to get up every morning, put our feet on the floor, hunker in, and stand flat-footed, stand broad-shouldered, and salute our captain and say, Father, I'm here reporting for duty this morning, sir. Amen. That's what we got to do. We got to have some men and women of allegiance. God don't want no bumping around Christians. Just kind of, okay, oh, I'll go this way now. Okay, oh, okay, I'll go this way now. And kind of put their finger to the wind and be led that way. No, you better be led by the Spirit of Almighty God. Hey, listen, be a man or woman of allegiance. Okay? That's what, listen, that's what Elisha was. You say, how do you know that? We'll look at verse number 20. It says, And he left the oxen and ran after Elisha. Elijah. And listen, he said, Let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow thee. Now it sounds like there, Tim, that he's saying, Okay, let me go check and see. No, he's saying, I'm giving you my final departure, Mom and Dad. I'm going to let you know I'm paying my total allegiance to Jesus Christ. Everybody in that area, listen, everybody had bowed down to Baal. Everybody had given sacrifices to the unknown gods. And you know what? Here's a man by the name of Elisha. I'm going to tell you right now, the Holy Spirit of God will not let Elijah to Elisha unless he was a man of allegiance. The successor to anybody is going to be a person who is loyal and has allegiance to their Creator. And ladies and gentlemen, we need some men and women who will be servants with allegiance. Look at what it says here. He said, I, I pray. He said, let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow thee. And Elijah said unto him, go back again, for what have I done to thee? See, number one, if you're going to be a man, a servant of God that God uses, number one, you've got to be a man or woman of allegiance. But number two, you've got to be a man or woman of assurance. You say, preacher, what do you mean? 
Here's a man who said, you know what? And by the way, when he said, what have I now done to thee? You know what he's saying? In Hebrew language, that basically means, Romani, that he's saying, I'm a wanted man. I'm matter of fact, I'm the most wanted man in Israel. He said, do you really want to do this? You better make sure that this is what you want to do because once you come with me, you're going to be wanted just like I am. And you know what Elijah, Elisha did? He went and kissed his father and his mother. You say, how do you know he was a man of assurance? Well, look at verse 21. Verse number 21 says, And he returned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slew them and boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen. Now look up at me. You know what? He was so assured, Preacher Downey, of his call of God on his life and to follow Elijah that he killed his cows, he burned his plows, and he said, I'm going out and I'm going to be a preacher. I'll tell you a little personal story. I remember when God was beginning to work on my heart about the ministry. And I went preacher to my mom and dad. Now at that time, my mom and dad wasn't saved. I went to my mom and dad and I said, you know what? I said, God's called me into ministry. God's called me into full-time ministry. And I'm excited about it. My dad looked at me as a lost man at that time. And he said this, Jensen. He said, you know what, Brian? You're excited about it right now. It's been about five years. And you've been trying to fulfill this thing and figure out what you're doing. And he said, you know what? It's going to wear off after a while. Thank God it ain't wore off. I looked at my dad, and you know what? My heart was grieved, but I'm going to tell you right now, I looked at him, and I meant this thing. I said, Dad, when I came here, I thought I was called into ministry. I said, now I know I'm called into ministry. I know I am. Because you know what? There are going to be people that look at you like you're crazy when you say, I'm going to serve Jesus Christ with my whole life. They're going to be people that think you're nuts. But I'm here to tell you that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to tell you Elisha was a man of assurance. You don't want to know why? He took that which is most precious to his family, the oxen and the instruments, and he listened. He burned his plows, killed his cows, and said, I'm going to be a preacher. Let me ask you. Are you that assured of the call of God on your life? Because by the way, each and every one of you have a calling. There's a call to salvation. There's a call to service. There's a call to surrender. I said that this morning. Some of you in here, you know what? You hadn't run the white flag up yet. Jesus is your Savior, but He hadn't become your Lord. He must become your Lord. And ladies and gentlemen, Elisha was a man, Gareth, of assistant, listen, of, a, of, a, of allegiance. He was a man of assurance. I'll never forget, about two and a half years, Nathan, after I talked to my dad, well, it was about, about five years maybe, five years after I talked to my dad about going into ministry, I went to my dad and I began to talk to him about the Lord. And you know what? We had this in-depth conversation. Now, you got to understand something. I was raised in a religious home, but religion won't get you nowhere. All it'll do is just, it'll make you do religious calisthenics and exercises, and that's all it is. You've got to put your faith in Christ. It's got to be a relationship and you've got to make a conscious decision to put your faith in Christ. Religion didn't do nothing for anybody but make them busy and pragmatic. I'm here to tell you that it ain't about religion. Thank God it's about a relationship. Thank God Jesus paid it all. Amen. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin left a crimson stain, but thank God he washed it white as snow. And ladies and gentlemen, you've got to be a man or a woman of allegiance, but a man or a woman of assurance. My dad looked at me. 
Five years later, it ain't wore off yet, Malcolm. He's looking at me and saying, I don't understand this. You still crazy as you used to be about it. Praise God. You ought to fall in love with Jesus every single day all over again. Amen. Just got to fall in love with him every day. And I looked at him, I looked at my dad, and I said, Dad, you got to understand something. This ain't going to change. God's placed a calling on my life. I said, I've asked him if I could do anything else than be in the will of God, I'd do it. I asked him, I begged him, I said, I will do whatever it is, Lord, you want me to do. And if it's something other than the ministry, I'll do it. But you know what? I couldn't get away from it. I tried to run from it. I tried to get away from it. But God wouldn't let me get away from it. And I finally ran the white flag up. And you know what? I'm standing before you today assured of what I know my calling and election is. And that is to preach the untainted word of God. And I stood before my father. And I'm going to tell you something now. That's hard. Not only is your dad a skeptic about what you're called to do, but he ain't even saved. And I looked at my dad and I said, Dad, it ain't going to change. God's called me into ministry. He scratched his head, and even like the Greeks, he said, we'll answer you again on this matter. <laughs> Amen. Kind of debated and said, hmm, we'll get back with you. And you know what? About two years after that, we didn't talk a lot, and we were over here on our first trip. Now, oh, excuse me, let me back up a little bit. My grandmother died, okay? I had no idea, guys, had no earthly idea that my grandmother would ask me to do her funeral. But at her funeral, my dad's mother's funeral... I gave the invitation. I said, is there anybody in here that needs to trust Christ? You're not going to trust religion. You're not going to trust baptism or church membership. You want to trust Christ to get to heaven. And you know what? I watched my dad do just like this. And for the first time in my life, I saw an acknowledgement that he needed God. And you know what? I led my dad to Christ that day, Malcolm, out in the cemetery where my grandmother and my granddaddy were buried. And you know what? Two months after that, we found out my dad had pancreatic cancer. Two months later. My dad lived two and a half years after that. And on our first trip over here, literally after we left you, Pastor Larry, we went to Scotland, and I was over there in Scotland for just a little while. And while we were there, Brother Downey, I got a call. As a matter of fact, we had not heard from my mother, called home. My mom said, your dad's in the hospital. I said, is it that bad? She said, it's pretty bad. I said, I'm coming home. She said, your dad wants to talk to you. My dad got on the phone. And I said, Dad, I'm canceling all my meetings, and I'm coming home. I'm coming home, getting on the plane right now. You know what, Steve? My dad on the phone with a broken voice because of all the chemotherapy, all the radiation. And listen, hardly any voice box left. My dad said, Brian, he said, you don't need to come home. Why would you come home? He said, You've done everything for me you can do. He said, you led me to Christ. He said, but there are people over there that haven't heard. He said, you stay and preach Jesus. Whew. Son, I'm going to tell you right now, I felt like a Rottweiler that had a piece of raw meat hanging out in front of him. I just went, sick him, boy. Ha! I mean, I was ready to go. Amen? I, that's, that's what it's all about. And you know what? We came home after that trip, and my dad had not gotten any better. Matter of fact, he got worse. And Sean, we went to the hospital. I stayed there 51 days with my dad, almost. Oh, about 38, 40 days. 
After about the 40th day, the doctors came in and the oncologists looked at us. And, and, and I'm going to be honest with you guys. If you, ever got, if you ever got an occupation as an oncologist, which is a cancer doctor, I hope your last name ain't Grimm. That was the last name of my, on, my dad's oncologist, Dr. Grimm. How in the world can you make that up? <laughs> if you're a cancer doctor, at least name, change your name to you know, Dr. Rejoicing or something. Not Dr. Grimm? Are you kidding me? She came in the room and she looked at me and she said, we got to talk about bad things. So I went in a room and I remember having to sit down and sign a DNR, do not resuscitate order for my dad. My dad looked at me and he said, Brian, he said, I'm ready to go home. I knew what he meant, Nathan. He didn't want to go to Bell Farm Road in Statesville, North Carolina, United States of America. No, he didn't want to go there. He was ready to go home. But I'll tell you what I did. I said, Dad, we'll get you to the house. And I called an ambulance, and we got the thing set up, and I, I, I watched them roll him out in a hospital gurney, Brother Downey, and put him in that ambulance, and they took it to the house and rolled him out into that room, and they put that hospital gurney into his room, took her bed out. And I, I listen, I literally, and my wife can attest to this, we stayed there that week with him. On a Sunday night, we got there. On Tuesday morning, listen, I'd slept there Sunday night on the floor, Monday night on the floor holding his hand, the very hand that used to hold mine. The very hand that used to hold the back of my bicycle seat when I was trying to learn to ride and let me go and say, that's good, son. The hands that used to push me on the swing, now I'm holding and for dear life, holding on saying, Lord, please don't take him yet. But there came a day when two days later I got ready to go get something to eat and my uncle came out the door and he waved at me like this and I, I, I said, oh man, what's going on? I pulled back up and he said, you got to come here quick and I thought my dad was getting ready to take his last breath. No, I walked in. My dad, Nathan, is sitting straight up in the bed after three days on morphine in a catatonic state, could not talk, could not even communicate. He was literally laying in the bed and we were just trying to keep him, keep him comforted before he passed away. And Jensen, my dad, sat up straight in the bed, three days on morphine, sat up straight in the bed, said, Come here, son, I got something to tell you. And he looked at me and he gave me marching orders. He said, Take care of your mama. He said, You know what? He said, Your sister's going to get married one day and she's going to have babies and you need to take care of her. She's going to need to be married. Somebody's going to have to perform her wedding. Why don't you do that? And then he looked at my mom, and my mom was crying and she couldn't even talk. And my daddy was looking at her. And I'm telling you, it was one of the sweetest things I'd ever seen in my life. And he kissed my sister. And he was almost like he was saying, this is it. I'm getting ready to leave here and I've got to talk to you one last time. You know what? Fourteen and a half hours later, Antonio, he was gone. And took his last breath in that room. I can remember sitting in that room and I'm telling you what my wife looked at me and she said, Jesus is in this room. I said, oh yeah, he's here. And we had a little nurse praying, and I began to pray. And I'm telling you what heaven rained down in that room. And I'm going to tell you right now, I'm thank God I'm assured. I'm assured of knowing where my daddy's at. But I'm even more assured that I remember what my daddy said. He said, you know what, Brian? Basically, he said what Christ said. He said, Brian, let the dead bury their dead. Go and preach Christ. And I stand before you today as a man that is assured of what my calling is. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're going to be a man of God that's going to be a servant, going to be used of God, number one, you be a man or a woman of assurance. You be a man or a woman of allegiance. But number three, you be a man or woman of assistance. Of assistance. You say, preacher, what do you mean? Look at the last part of verse 21. i got to finish up here in just a minute. Look at it. 
It says in verse number 21, look at the latter part of it. Then he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. That word ministered, same word in the Greek language, same word, means the same thing. Serve, serve, serve. He served him. You know what I read in history? That Elisha poured water on the hands of Elijah for 11 years, guys, before he ever was able to minister to the people. I mean, do nothing but wash the hands of Elijah for 11 years before he preached his first message to the people. He ministered unto him. I want to ask you a question, and I'll say it again. Are you trying to get through life, get an education, get an advancement at work? Are you trying to get a promotion in your church to be somebody or to serve somebody? If you're going to be somebody God uses, you're going to have to be a person of allegiance, of assurance, and of acceptance. You've got to accept it. Some of you in here, you know what? You're kicking against the will of God. Well, I want to do this. I want to do this. Let me tell you something. If you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. <laughs> it's time for us to be accepting of the will of God in our life. And once you've done that, be somebody that's a person of assistance. Now, I must finish. I want you to look at 2 Kings chapter number 2. It's a very familiar passage, but I'm going to be done with this. This is the last thing I want to leave you with before I go back to states now. I want you to listen to me. This is powerful. In 2 Kings chapter number 2, you see the, that Elijah's getting ready to leave here by a whirlwind, and he is talking to his, and he's talking to his uh, preacher boy. He's talking to the person that's going to succeed him. He's going to lay the mantle on him. Guess what? He looks at Elisha, and he says, you know what? Let's walk this way. And they start going through these little places, Gilgal, Bethel, Jericho. Then they come to the River Jordan. And the River Jordan, listen, is a place that every single one of us, figuratively speaking, has to come to. You've got to come to your River Jordan. See, here's the problem. When they came to the River Jordan, they stood there. It says, and I want to pick up my reading in chapter number 2. Look at verse number, look at verse number 6. And Elijah said unto him, Tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord has sent me to Jordan. And he said, As the Lord liveth, and as I so liveth, I will not leave thee. And the two went on. And fifty men of the sons of the prophets went and stood to view afar off, and they too stood by Jordan. You know what? That sounds like the percentages in most churches. There's two people doing something and fifty watching. You welcome. These two men are standing at the River Jordan. There's 50 preacher boys on the other side through the bushes going, huh, what they, well, I guess what, I, got, I wonder what they're going to do. What are they going to do? And you know what he does? Elijah takes his mantle off, smacks the waters, and he says, where's the Lord God of it? And he smacks the waters and they part asunder and they walk over. Now I want to ask you a question. How much faith did it take for Elisha to follow Elijah? Not a whole lot. I mean, it ain't too hard to follow behind somebody. You know, Elijah take a step, Elisha take a step. <laughs> Elijah take a step, Elisha take a step. You know, it don't take a whole lot of faith to do that. But they get across on the other side and they're walking along and guess what? The Lord, Romani, calls up Elijah into, by heaven, into, by, into heaven by a whirlwind. He's gone. The only thing left is his mantle. His prayer shawl is floating to the ground. 
Now, I don't know about you, but if I watched a man be caught up into heaven by a whirlwind, it'd scare me to death. I don't know about you, that'd scare me to death. It wouldn't give me great faith. But you know what? You don't get great faith from what you see. You get great faith from where you've been. Elijah and Elisha had traveled. They'd already traveled this journey together. It's where they had been that gave him his great faith. And he was left there. And you know what most of us would do? I don't know what you'd do, but let me tell you what I'd do. Whenever it got dark, I'd have gone back to the River Jordan, crossed over in the most shallow place I could find, and go across the other side where I knew it was safety and I knew something about it. No, he didn't do that. You know what he did? He took the mantle, Pastor. He put it on. He went back, it says. He turned around, went back to the edge of the River Jordan. Now, there's 50 preacher boys watching what he's going to do. And you know what he does? He says these words. Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And he smacks the waters. Now that takes great faith. Elijah's done been taken up. He's by himself. And he says, where's the Lord God of Elijah? He smacks the waters and they're parted and he walks over on dry ground. Now I'm going to tell you something. It takes commitment to do that. It takes some commitment. It takes some allegiance. It takes some assurance. It takes some acceptance. But you know what? Here's a man who is willing to be one that assists and ministers to others. And you know what he said? There's a cause that's bigger than me. This is all, this ain't about me. This is a bigger thing than I am. And you know what he does? He goes back across. Now you know what? Some of you in this room are at a crossroad in your life. And you know what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to make a decision. Choose you this day. You're going to have to make a decision what you're going to do. Are you going to go back? Are you going to cower under pressure and all the giants that you're facing and you're going to run and tuck tail and hide? No, you can't do that. You're going to have to face them. Some of you are facing some giants that are so insurmountable and are casting such long shadows that you're almost about to uh, be overwhelmed and can't even breathe. Some of you in this room, you're holding on to the giant of bitterness. You're holding on to the giant and you're fighting a giant of literally of anger. I got a right to be angry, preacher. You don't know what they did to me. Can anybody take a Bible and prove to me that from the Bible? Can you show me where it says you have a right to be angry so much that you ain't going to forgive somebody? Some, anybody? Show me. It ain't in there. Let me tell you something. If you're going to be a servant that God uses, you've got to, and you know what? Here's the thing, Malcolm. The call then, Elisha said, where's the Lord God of Elijah? I'm going to be honest. I know where the Lord God of Elijah is. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. But you know what the call today is? Brother Downey, the call today ain't where's the Lord God of Elijah. The call today is where are the Elishas of the Lord God? Where are the Elishas? Where are the men and women who are assured of what God's called them to do? Who are willing to stand when everybody else is bowing down? Are willing to be men and women of allegiance? What about acceptance? But what about assistance? There's people all around you. In university, at school, in your ministry, who are hurting they need somebody to come alongside them and just pour water on their hands. Just minister to them. It's time. Listen, as we close this conference, I want everybody in here to look at me. 
It is time for each and every one of us to lose ourselves, to make sure that we understand who's really in charge of this thing. It ain't about us. It's about Him. Are you a man or woman of allegiance? Are you a man or a woman of assurance? Are you a man or a woman of acceptance? Are you a man or a woman of assistance? I'm going to ask you to pray. Heads bowed, eyes closed. I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes. Nobody looking around. I want you to ask yourself this question tonight. The Lord has spoken to my heart. I, I want to be a servant that God uses. But there's some things that I have neglected. I have, not, I have not stood up. I have not been a man or a woman of allegiance. I have not been assured of what I'm doing because I have been uh, wandering around in the darkness and I need God to illuminate to me and to speak to my heart and help me because you know what? I'm having a real hard time with acceptance and assistance and I want you to pray for me. I want to be the man or, God, uh, the man or woman that God uses and you just say pray for me. Anybody in the room like that? God bless you. Once you put it up, you can put it down. Let's do this. As pastor comes here right now, and I want you to stand with your heads bowed and eyes closed right now. Shelly, you begin to play whatever God lays on your heart. If you just stand to your feet right now, heads bowed, eyes closed, nobody looking around, let's stand to our feet. We're going to have an invitation hymn. And if you need to come tonight, I want you to do that. Be a servant that God can use. The song says, I wonder have I done my best for Jesus, who died upon the tree, to think of his great sacrifice at Calvary. I know the Lord expects the best from me. How many are the loss I've lifted? How many are the chain to help to free? I wonder, have I done my best for Jesus when he has done so much for me? Can you sing that tonight from your heart? We're going to sing it in just a minute. I'm going to turn it over to Pastor. But I want to pray right now. Father, I pray that you'd bless in the invitation time. Have you will in your way. Move in hearts, I pray. And help us to be a servant or a man or God, that, a man or woman that you can use, God. And we'll love you and thank you for what you do. In Jesus' name, amen.